sounds like it's raining there too. <laughs> yeah, it's pouring the rain. Is it's, it storming there? Um, well, yeah, I, I guess you'd call it that. <laughs> uh, it hasn't thundered for quite a while, but it's pouring the rain. Uh, we're uh, you're listening to Oblivion on this rainy Monday, January twenty fifth, twenty twenty one. Uh, Hello, everyone. <laughs> there was just a big lightning bolt within seconds of when you called, followed by some thunder. So we've been having lightning and thunder for about the last two hours. So I think we should call this one uh, <laughs> Podcasters on the Storm. Indeed. Uh, doors, man. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant the storming of the Capitol, man. Yeah, yeah. That, that's uh, that's another app <laughs> reference. Yeah, first on the list was uh, protests in Russia. So I guess they were weren't quite storming the uh, Kremlin yet, but uh, certain degree of unrest in Russia. Thing that I noticed about that story was the way that the emotions stood out. That people said that they had gotten to the point where they were sick of being afraid, and that's always an interesting way of seeing if if perhaps the zeitgeist is changing. That is this malaise and I think unhealthy contentment with. Um, material possessions and so forth. Um, but it, it is also happening uh, and driven by a, a great amount of fear, an unwillingness to speak out, to disagree, to protest, to demand better. I mean, Bernie Sanders is saying that about America. Uh, but, I mean, it's interesting because the, the two acts are are similar in the sense that there's kind of a, you could say, an explosion of, of emotion and and sort of uh, extreme actions, very dramatic actions of, uh, you know, high-profile uh, political uh, conflict. And, but in, in Russia it seems to be inspiring. Like I, I find myself liking the people who are showing the courage to do this because it's really awful uh, the, the way that they are just getting beaten down. Like I saw one guy with the, you know, his head had been, had been beaten. Like it was been bleeding right down the middle <laughs> and um, good God, you know, this is so horrible. And um, whereas in, uh, America, like I, all the people that were, um, you know, storming the Capitol were just fools and just these <laughs> totally unsavory specimens of humanity. Well, one interesting angle with the whole Navalny thing and um, is the the press's covering of it and how I, it's hard to trust anything you hear about Russia because the mainstream media, uh, you know, 
Russia and now increasingly China are part of this Cold War 2.0 uh, campaign. So when there is this Navalny thing comes up, and it has, of course, you remember the Navalny uh, was supposedly poisoned. Um, this was back when was right. that? six months in ago the summer. in the summer, right? And um, and that was a strange story in that you know um, uh, poison with this super poison, but which somehow he survives. You know, supposedly this super poison isn't so super that it manages to kill these people. Um, That's um, a good point. <laughs> and uh, the, it, just, it just is a little confounding why Putin would decide to. Uh, um, poison this person who is really not a central character in Russia, uh, maybe more so now that he's being boosted uh, from the outside. Uh, but, uh, you know, just kind of a fringe character, uh, not necessarily a radical either, gets poisoned uh, by the state, but nonetheless he's flown to to, uh, to Germany to be tested where they say he has this whatever and then he goes back and is apparently arrested so but it's you always got to think about it in the lens of how it's being presented through our press uh, which is you know that if there and kind of how we're taking it oh they live under this terrible regime uh, but uh, there's no way that the Biden regime could ever be looked at that way, right? Uh, right. <laughs> that uh, the jackboot thugs that are soon going to be released uh, are the, the proxies. They're going to be released on Black Lives Matter the next time they try to get together. Um, that's not going to be ascribed to the our wonderful nation state, but yet just some... Uh, or just just having the world's largest prison population, thanks to Joe Biden, among others. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So even so, though it may not happen, it's kind of like the way that these uh, endless wars in the Middle East have been fought. Is one in Afghanistan still uh, going on? And uh, by the way, I, I read a piece where since October. Um, the Taliban have taken over significant territory in Afghanistan, like Helmand province. But, but anyway, the, the point is, when you look at what's going on in Russia, all the action appears to be consolidated. And I think in America, they learned after the Vietnam War that you want to, you don't want to have explosive events happening all at once. And so that's the way that the escalation of the prison population has happened. In other words, it wasn't like in one day the government went out and rounded up all these people and just threw them in. And in a matter of 10 days, they built like uh, a thousand prisons and just stuffed them full, right? It's just very slowly, a little bit here, a little bit there. Um, you know, then pass something like three strikes, you're out. and these insane laws that they had in the 
90s and probably still have, although maybe in some places they have policy-wise at least uh, uh, hedged back on them. But um, but that and then the way the wars in the Middle East have been fought where you don't have mass casualties, but you're, you'll consistently have you know, eight people killed this month, 10 people this month. And then after a while, people just forget about it because it's like, oh, it was only this many and and so on. If it becomes but, nor- normalized in the cliche. Yeah, the way uh, I see the, the covering of the Russian story, yes. Uh, uh, normalized because it, it doesn't happen uh, in, with such a spectacle. Yeah. Right? So if you, keep, if you keep it just a little bit here and there, a little bit at a time, and you spread it out, you know, then the next thing you know, if you look at the if you look at a graphic chart and you start say in the early '70s, and then you look go into the '90s, there's a major major spike up in the prison population, and then that continues. It certainly doesn't ever go down. It just steadily continues to the present day. Um, and then, uh, so I mean, that certainly is a is a violent and and hardcore oppressive culture and you have to wonder well what exactly happened in 1970 that uh everybody just suddenly became bad like i mean what 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 happened is it is it was it just like the a deus ex machina gone bad and uh, everybody's bad now it's just no of course not it was a policy decision to just go out and start um Make it that the country was going to be about uh, basically having a war on drugs, and you could use that to beat down people that uh, didn't fit the mold. And among other people, the war protesters, you know, hippies, people who smoke pot, and uh, on top of that, uh, it's a big issue relating back to Black Lives Matter, uh, people of color. And uh, but then the other thing I wanted to say about the coverage of Russia is. Uh, I think that it's a significant uh, story. Uh, I think the points that you bring up about uh, Natali, is that the guy's name? Uh, Navalny. Navalny are interesting and valid. But it also just strikes me is that this kind of McCarthyism 2.0. No sooner do we get Biden elected than let's just really go on and on and on about uh, Russia. So yeah. let's be worried about Russia. Yeah, and exactly. Biden can be the strong president by standing up to Russia. And, of course, this is yet another way to, among other things, shut down the progressive left to the extent that it actually exists um, as any formidable political influence in the United States and the Democratic Party by associating it with Russia, with communism, uh, the way Anderson Cooper did in his job of Bernie Sanders, which was the, I think, really the catalyst that propelled Biden to presidency. But it's really the last thing that we need to be hearing about in the United States uh, is Russia and sort of reliving Reagan era when you know Biden looked like Tom Cruise and was all young and ready to get out there and fight and he's going to beat down the commies and he's going to put the crackheads in jail. <laughs> Superhero indeed. Um, yeah. Speaking of uh, protests, uh, 
more close to home, uh, you had a topic that I didn't even hear about this. I'm not until you uh, mentioned that was the um, our attorney general in Kentucky, uh, Cameron. What's his first name? Daniel Cameron. Daniel Cameron. Um, mm-hmm. African American uh, kind of was under the coattails of uh, Mitch McConnell. Uh, came attorney general in an elected position in Kentucky. And of course there was the uh, uh, killing of Breonna Taylor in Louisville. Uh, and then uh, pretty much continuous since then protests. But uh, what, what are the details on the impeachment of him in relation to the Breonna Taylor? As the best I understand it, three of the grand jurors have filed a motion for Cameron to be impeached mm-hmm. uh, because he um, he violated the public trust among other things but they're saying that he didn't he didn't uh, conduct himself in the office of attorney general as he should have mm-hmm. and he acted in a completely corrupt mm-hmm. uh, manner and, and yeah. again um, this is just the best of my understanding so I mean if the listener uh, find something that is is not exactly right about this, but I think one of the major issues with how everything went down that in the end, of course, it, it was only uh, the wanton endangerment charges filed against um, I think uh, two of the uh, officers or one person one person was charged with something because bullets went into the other apartment uh but anyway no murder charges were were filed um or any uh high level uh, charges associated with the killing of of Brianna Taylor and the the one of the criticisms as i understand it is that the grand jury was es- effectively directed mandated, dictated that they would only find, uh, they would only bring forward certain charges. So they weren't even allowed to consider uh, murder, uh, to look at that a homicide had, had occurred, but they weren't just given the evidence to review the evidence. And then based on what they saw, what, what would they, um, what would they um, come up with? And it's very interesting to bring it back to Russia for a second because the, it's the issue of disproportionate force, mm-hmm. right? Is something that I think you can definitely apply to the Breonna Taylor case. It's been completely ignored. And I remember when Daniel Cameron was making the announcement and he's all just very stiff and phony and he knows that he's up there lying uh, and, and just being technical and, and, and litigious, but he's saying, you know, under Kentucky law, uh, officers have the right to uh, fire back when fired upon. But, you know, that alone doesn't say that it's okay that if someone fires one shot, you can then unload, what was it, 32 rounds? <laughs> yeah. I saw, I saw, yeah, I saw like a schematic of, of the like sequence of the bullets and the, the sequence of the bullets and like how they went from the, you know, and it was just like, 
covered spray. They sprayed bullets through the doors and windows that they were shooting through. I mean, that's a hit job. You know, they don't even shoot Michael Myers that many times. <laughs> yeah. And sure, the, the one guy, he was just shooting indiscriminately. That was the one that was charged. He was shooting through a window, just kind of in there, you know, <laughs> he, you know, without it, at least the ones they saw the flashes and, you know, the, the one shot from the, <laughs> yeah, disproportionate, one shot from the one guy. Yeah. Ready to go, trigger happy. Yeah. And, uh, you needed, you needed that many. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's one thing to say that you, you fire back, but even, then I mean five or six rounds, and and you would think that the idea is that uh, you would have had some sense of where the shot was coming from. Yeah, I mean I, I'm only basing this on movies that I've watched. Yeah, but, I mean I don't understand well, the need to just riddle the place. Well, and I I don't think there's a need for like drive-by ghetto. I don't think there's a need for these no-knock war- uh, warrants, which was what quote authorized them the to war just, on drugs. Right. To, Why are in, we doing this? Well, but I'm, I'm thinking it just in a in a micro sense, in a situation like that, uh, you know, it's been basically the dr- quote drug dealer, you know, the the evil person that who you're going to go arrest or or whatever you're going to do, kill. Um, is uh, de facto already a violent person that is going to kill you. Right. Um, right. So um, it's this attitude where in reality, I bet if they went and knocked on 99.99% of the doors that were, you know, supposedly so incredibly violent and such, the person would come to the door, open the door, and, you know, they'd be like, you know, put your hands up. they put their fucking hands up, and that would be that, right? Or, you know. Right. We're coming, we have a warrant to search your place, and that would be that. But, of right. course, it's it's made to seem like that, there's, you know, people in these places, these, quote, drug dealers, or these just savage... Jesse James is on the other side of the door <laughs> every single time. Right, yeah. But that, that it's even goes worse than that. It's pretty much if you're a black person in any situation, the cops treat right. you like you are going to be ready to... So, you know... Every black person knows that you goddamn have your hands on that steering wheel. You don't make any moves. You don't. You do exactly what they fucking say because when they come up to that car, if they see you're a black person, they have their fucking gun pulled, right? To fucking blow you away. This is standard practice with black people in this country. So um, incredible. Yeah. <laughs> Just so miserable and awful. Yeah. And, so, and we're talking about how horrible things are in Russia. <laughs> yeah. They don't do that here. Indeed. Indeed. Um, and everything yeah. will be fine now that Joe Biden's <laughs> in, in office. Yeah, everything will be fine. That is, it'll just continue exactly like that. The rich people who, you know, white people or even middle class uh, white people never encounter this. Uh, activity, uh, or show with respect. Well they don't involved. believe it. They don't believe it, it exists. You know. Right. Uh, While well, insisting that they're well informed. Yeah. Right. Um, and there it, it continues. They went to college. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm woke. So they're, no. so they're smart. They're woke. Yeah. Speaking of woke, you have transgender females on here with no other. Uh, uh, well, one of uh, Joe Biden's first acts is that hmm. he uh, made some uh, executive order. I think this is related to Title Nine that says that transgender females can now compete in female sports. Mm-hmm. And so this is, this is a controversial issue because mm-hmm. of course they, they're going to have an advantage, mm-hmm. right? And so this will, among other things, uh, threaten the um, availability of scholarship to cisgender females. All right, right. And uh, one article that I read, uh, it was from the New York Post, which is a pretty conservative mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> publication. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's more like a tabloid. It's a Rupert Murdoch it's a, it's tabloid. A tabloid. But anyway, yeah. there was this one point that was made that I actually thought was a good point, which said, why not just have a league for transgender athletes? I mean, it's what we do. We have men sports, women sports, rather than say, does the transgender female have to play with the men or the women? Why can't transgender females just have their own league and play against one another? Of course, the response is, is that there are so few, mm. I am guessing, yeah. transgender females as compared to females in general, that how could you really cobble together an organization where they could be playing each other, especially at the high school level? <laughs> we'll, ha- we'll, ha- we'll have a special we'll have a special camp uh, where we'll bring together all the transgender females. But the other thing is, is that and I don't know um, if you know more about this, uh, at least with regard to this one question, but in terms of the way they were representing what transgender female means, this article was saying that it was limited to, let's see, um, people who are born biologically male that identify as female. Hmm. And I always thought that gender identity was more complex than that. Hmm. Or is that all there is to it? Well, yeah, it's very com- it's very complex for sure. Like a lot of my education I got from uh, ContraPoints, which is uh, uh, it's a YouTube star. She um, she uh, basically transitioned the last four or five years. It has a very highly produced, well made show where she covers various philosophical topics. She came from philosophy, academia. Uh, but you know, part of it is just the issues, trans issues, and all these various questions about identity that it brings up that are very complicated, <laughs> you know. And it, she doesn't whitewash it. I mean, it very much is complicated. And and the I mean, if, I had just said, if if I had just said when I was in high school, well, you know what? I mean, I I think I'm 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 female, and then I could have uh, been on the <laughs> girls' basketball team. <laughs> Yeah. And then just told me you kicked ass. 
Yeah. Well, yeah, that sounds like that sounds like it. That sounds like it. It sounds like a South Park uh, show. <laughs> Cartman. It actually it it did remind me of a South Park show that was it was it it was a great one. It was back when in the nineties, I guess, back when the steroids card their medical card. No, 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 back in the nineties when uh, the steroid scandal of baseball uh, kind of blew up. Sure. Mark McGuire and Sammy. Yeah. Pizza. Yeah. Yeah. So they had a show on that. And in the show, um, um, Cartman uh, pretends that he's uh, um, mentally handicapped. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's like the most stereotypical insulting thing. <laughs> and wins at the Special Olympics because <laughs> By <laughs> that's what I should have done. That's what I should have done because I mean, you know half the people who know me think I'm retarded anyway. You're halfway there, man. So, I mean, I it off. so he put the stereo. <laughs> that's exactly what this show was. So yeah, it was hilarious, and and, and then to get at the end, uh, um, uh, the actual handicapped character in 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 South Park is like saying, you know, this is like, <laughs> well, they had they had you know Mark McGuire and those people standing up, and he's like basically insulting them half-handedly, you know. <clears throat> um, not that I think there's anything wrong with taking steroids, but but you know, as far as the transgender thing, I mean, it is an actual. It's really complicated because there is the actual dysmorphia, um, mental uh, state. I don't know what you call it, but I mean, where you feel like you're in the wrong, you are the wrong gender, and uh, it's like <laughs> you know, it's no, it's no bullshit. You know, you really do feel like you're in the wrong body and. And uh, uh, that you should right. be the I mean, other gender. I mean, that's the real thing. And and that actually, when you if you actually transition, there are people that don't transition, but uh, the fully transition, you take the hormones and you take estrogen and you start then, growing little boobs. Also, and, is, but isn't there also a kind of person who is simply transgendered? Like you, they're, they're just not biologically simply either male or female. Oh, yeah. I think there's a term for that. I, don't, I think that's kind of a different thing. That's uh, so you, the uh, person that you, they're androgynous, you might say. Well, I mean, the, uh, there's the whole range of people with like a micro penis or you call it a large, uh, you know, a, a large clitoris, you know, halfway in between. And, and the, the, you know, you have a little bit of a vagina and, you know, there's a whole range of that. So, and I think that's probably more common than a transgender person, uh, uh, <clears throat> meaning someone that is so, has dysphoria to, to such an extent that they go to the length of taking hormones and changing that way and often having surgery to alter their organs. Uh, 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 so, yeah, uh, that's what 
kind I'm of really got, surprised but, we didn't learn about all this when we were in high school. <laughs> right. Yeah, anyway, I, I think it's a wonderful thing. It's kind of, to a certain extent, I mean, in that uh, you remember in, we went to, we were in school, high school, especially in, in the 80s, and, of course, being gay was just as bad as I don't know what. Oh, you yeah. know, this is also the AIDS period, so it was doubly bad. You know, you were like some right. kind of a, a leper, you know. Not only were you this pervert, but you were a leper, to, you right. know, potential leper. Uh, and, and, of course, then the transgender thing was even more far out. I mean, I don't accept or really even think about or consider. Uh, so, and since that period, there has been a fairly radical shift in uh, the population's view of these things. Uh, you know, being gay is much more, way more accepted uh, and out in the open. Uh, and you can even get married now. So, I mean, the the transgender thing, it's kind of amazing how quickly it has came into public consciousness and people are right. um, dealing with it. But oh, sure. along, I mean, along, along, yeah, I'm sorry, along the way, uh, I think the thing you're talking about is so, sort of the position that got um, uh, uh, Rogan uh, in trouble. Um, Joe Rogan, you know, the... Uh, Comedian he has the famous podcast, you know, the most popular podcast, uh, <clears throat> and his position is questioning the whole, you know, having a exactly as you say, someone who was a male who transitions or, or otherwise identifies as a female, then committing with females, um, I mean, they're very well maybe a disadvantage there. Seems hard to get around it, so it's uh, right. An, an unfair advantage is had by the transgender female, right? So um, it, it, it's un, it's unfair to the cisgendered females because they're both biologically and uh, gender identity female, yeah. right? So the the male. The, the transgender female is basically the, uh, like having to compete against um, a male, but it's just that the person uh, in terms of gender identifies as female. So that person probably has is uh, stronger, faster, uh, taller, yeah, uh, yeah. has more um, testosterone, you know, naturally, you know, more aggressive. And so, uh, and there have been uh, examples of transgender females, especially in track, and they just completely go out and dominate. And so that's that's where it becomes that's where it becomes uh, uh, controversial. But yeah, to go back to the issue of uh, the way that it, people uh, look at gays from say the time we were in high school and now and now with the issue of of uh, people being transgender is uh, it's definitely a good thing with the growing level of awareness uh, such that it, uh, it gets people to understand that human beings are complex, right? Exactly. They can't, exactly. Just, they can't just be these simple, they have males and females and then they were good people and bad people, you know, and then, you know, bad people smoke pot and good people don't do drugs. Good people work hard and bad people don't. Um, 
But yeah, and then you and then you get into these interesting things, like I was talking, mentioning contrapoints. Um, you know, she explains things like the non-binary, the transgender, the ones who don't believe in either one, <laughs> and uh, you know, uh, I think there should be. Yeah, no I guess I, I was. I was. That's um, that's one of the things that I was talking. That that's. Uh, what I was referring to earlier, that it's not always just about um, being biologically one and identifying as the other. Like transgender can also just be that the person is a transgender person. They simply don't fall in with either being male or female in terms of the way they look, in terms of just everything about them. Like you can't just easily say like you can with the majority of the people like you can look at them and that's a woman, you know, that's, that's a man. And unless it's a disguise or something that you're being uh, deceived, then, I mean, you're, you're going to be right. Um, right. And yeah. And now if you look at Natalie, Wynn on her show, I mean, she's this female, I mean, I don't know how you would clock her, you know, uh, if you just saw her, um, I mean, she's more female than most females, right? I mean, especially she has great makeup art. She does all her own makeup and you know, hair and sets, and you know, she's very artistic. And <clears throat> so, you know, it's just her presentation well, is so female that, that it's amazing. You know? it's uh, the same thing that happened with uh, Caitlyn Jenner, right? Formerly Bruce Jenner, <laughs> the Olympia. Yeah, but you also uh, some acting. So. <laughs> There's an interesting person there for you, right? You're a yeah. Olympian and you're an actor. And of course, uh, what actors do, they play all kinds of different roles, and then he decides he wants to be a woman. Um, so uh, what else did we have on uh, tap for today? Well, let's move into COVID. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> how could oh, you yes. forget? Um, yeah, let's uh, just start with the numbers, um, then... There's a few um, articles we can cover. Uh, let's see. We got, uh, you know, the numbers are down somewhat, but not much. Uh, ooh, let's see. As far as cases, it says it's down. If you look at the plot, it's down to kind of more like early December, November. But um, I think it's just, you know, pretty much saying at this sort of high level. Uh, deaths were, um, there was a 21.6K increase. Latest number is 419,207. Uh, so a little less uh, uh, per week as far as the deaths, but it's basically the same. And um, it's just, Kind of boiling everywhere at the same high level. Uh, <clears throat> I was looking at an interesting map here, the per capita map, and um, it's like share of population with a reported case. So it's basically how much of the population has gotten it. And uh, you know, pretty interesting. And so most of it you hold over, say, if you hold over Callaway County, it's one in 13 people have gotten it. <clears throat> Wow, pretty, that's, pretty, a, that's yeah. a lot. Yeah. Jesus yeah. Christ. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this county won an 11. Um, and, you know, you hold it over most places, 
the ones that are higher, say Tennessee, where it just really got in there, uh, it ranges one in seven, one in eight, one in ten. Um, Western Kansas, you know, same kind of thing, one in eight. Um, looks like Los Angeles, one in nine. So, you know, and of course, that, that's an interesting way of looking at it, just kind of how much it's socked into the population as a whole. Um, there's some rural areas where it's still pretty low. Like, well, then we don't even need the vaccine. Just, <laughs> yeah. We finally just have herd immunity and this will be over. Yeah. Well, I mean, what this kind of points out is how many months are we into it and we're only one-tenth of the population. How much do you need for hum- uh, herd immunity? You need 80% at least. 80%. So that's years from now <laughs> at this rate uh, right. to get it. Uh, right. So pretty grim, pretty grim. So, yeah, I definitely need a vaccine, which, uh, uh, you know, continuing fiasco uh, as far as the rollout of the vaccine. Um, there, <clears throat> there's your private health care system in action. Right. Um, well, or, and we're in now, action. Uh, uh, well, not quite a a week, but I mean, Joe Biden is now a president. So, uh, and and one thing uh, that that I thought of is if Joe Biden is now president, then he would have the authority to tell all public colleges and universities. I mean, anything that gets any federal funding. Uh, that um, you're going to hold off on having in-person classes for the spring semester. I mean, I just can't believe that this isn't an issue. What is everybody's problem? I mean, it's it's even crazier and more sadistic now that the vaccine is actually here. Where are you going to find the money? Like, why are you – it's like you're literally just pushing people off the plank or asking them to sit at a table and play Russian roulette. I mean, it, it, it's horrible. And one of the one issue that, that uh, Joe Biden can't be silent on is what's going on with the Chicago public schools. Like they're still mandating, forcing the teachers to return to in-person classes. And the Chicago's teach, teachers <clears throat> is saying, no, we're not going to do this because we don't think that it, you have adequate uh, safety precautions, and there's too much community spread. And I think that the teachers are 100% right. And when something this serious is going on, everyone should be able to make these decisions for themselves. I mean, it's complete fascism for the mayor of Chicago and for the head of the Chicago schools to be saying, um, will decide that it's that it's safe and it's okay for you to go back in. And so you have to listen to us and, and go do it. It's your life, but we'll make the decision. I mean, that is really horrible. I mean, and, and that gets back to my point about how uh, it's just completely uh, inadequate to think that Trump leaving the White House alone is going to make any difference in the country or the kind of behavior and mentality that we saw in Donald Trump was really limited to him only. Like he's just that one person in the whole country that is like that and everybody else is different and really the complete opposite. 
But these people, the, the Chicago public schools, man, I mean, this is truly just uh, cruel that they're basically saying we're either going to throw you out on the street in the Chicago winter <laughs> or you have to go into these you know, old buildings and because it's winter, like you can't open windows and all of that. You have the heat on and the with the old buildings without the adequate ventilation. And just because this other person who already has a motivation for you to get back in there so that they can score points with the, the public and do what the parents want to do. Um, and to send these teachers into, into these uh classrooms and and then it's even even worse to make it sound like that the teachers are just coming up with a made-up reason and that's a literal quote from the head of the chicago public schools a made-up reason for not wanting to show up to, to work and so and it's, it's such a republican thing to say right you're just a bunch of slackers and you don't want to work so you oh okay it's, it's like well the um you know it's kind of cold so i didn't feel like uh going to work today or something um, and um, it's like it doesn't have anything to do with the student-teacher ratio or wanting a higher salary or you know, not having to pay for our own materials. I mean, this is literally a life-and-death issue. You you can't deny it. I mean, and um, I, I'm surprised that this uh, story isn't covered more than it is, and I'm also surprised that it's just not getting any critical attention. Well, yeah, it's um, it's not within the framing, and especially in the mainstream media, to talk about uh, uh, people shouldn't have any. Basically, it comes down to people shouldn't have any say on the whole thing, right? Because I mean, we're not experts, right? So uh, you know, our opinion doesn't matter. I mean, if, and if right. we if we're critical, we're one of the deplorables who doesn't believe in science and. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, et cetera, et cetera. So you just shut up and uh, you know, do what you're told. Um, <clears throat> and uh, you, uh, another issue that you brought up uh, in another article was a surge of uh, student suicides uh, because they're not going back to school. <laughs> So right, uh, I was, <laughs> so they uh, yeah, kill them if you do, kill them if you don't. Right, but this, that's the that shows the hypocrisy of the the, the just rigid political motivations involved here. They, I mean, every day for a while now, it's been what three thousand people a, a day. Dying of COVID nineteen. Am I accurate on right. that? Or yeah, that, three to four thousand. Three thousand a day. So, and so, so, since March, eighteen younger people have committed suicide. Now, compare the numbers. So, why <laughs> am I supposed to look at this number eighteen and be like, "Oh my God, this is horrible," <laughs> and then turn around and be like, "Well, so what? Three thousand people." That are dying every day. You can't tell me to wear a mask. You can't tell me I can't go to church. You can't tell me I can't uh, go to happy hour or go travel, see my family for Thanksgiving. I mean, this is, I, this is what I want. 
and in the case in Chicago and the case in, in Las Vegas, it's the Las Vegas Clark County School System, which is the I think the fifth largest. Chicago is the third largest. Um, in, in both cases, it's just that the parents want their kids out of the house in in to have them in in school, and the the families just are so lost, like they don't know how to be families. They are just completely <laughs> dependent on this schedule and this routine. And it is thrown off at all. They lose their mind. And all this, and what this pandemic has done is it's shown how incredibly mentally unhealthy everyone was before this happened. It's not like everybody was fine and the pandemic happened and then all of a sudden they deteriorated. It's like they, they were already weak and incredibly unhappy, uh, totally unable to, to come up with and, and focus on intrinsic goals. And so their locus of control is always outside of, of themselves. And when you think everything is always externally controlled, even if things are going well, you're still going to be anxious and nervous and worried and insecure because it, it, it's the minute that some external factor changes, and that's what happened with the coronavirus, everything's going to fall apart because you don't know how to come up with your, your own way to kind of uh, organize and make meaning and regulate your your own life, which is what adults and you know functioning human beings who use their brains uh, ought to be able to do. And then to make it even worse, uh, to sort of bring up the issue of what a horrible system capitalism is, and we're never going to get anywhere until we have the willingness to uh, take on condemning this system and getting rid of it is a lot of it is that the financial pressure that parents face is such that they can't stay home with their right. kids. Exactly. So they, so what, but that's, but that just shows you what a bunch, what a crock, what a bunch of poppycock, the whole, they're not getting their education. That is that this is driven simply by the fact that we have school so the children can have a place to go at the taxpayer's expense, while the parents have to work a lot of hours for a private employer who's making a profit, while the parents obviously are not making that much money because both parents have to work and they don't have any leverage with regard to being able to either negotiate or say, well, such and such has come up I'm going to step back and take time away from work, right? If you can't do those things and if you don't have the leverage to do those things, then you're getting screwed over. I mean, you're working your brains out and you're not getting anything in return for it. You just have to keep working all, all the time. I mean, there's no advancement. There's no, and it's like who in their right mind, and then that gets back to the issue of democracy, right? Who wakes up in the morning and says, oh, that's, that's what I want. You know, I'm the people. And that's what I want. I want to work all the time, make no money, and be constantly stressed out about, uh, about work and finances. And then the only reason we have these schools, which I'm paying taxes so that the schools can exist and stay open, is so that my children can have a place to go while both of us go to work. So it's not about the education, that they're not getting educated. It's not about the development. It's not about the mental health. It's, it, we just need to put these bodies somewhere. Let's, right? let's uh, then, talk about, let's talk about the I mental. I know I'm on a tear here, but I got to <laughs> get one more point is, then there's the poverty, right? 
There's yeah. poverty where the school is the place for some of these children. It's the only place they get to eat right, breakfast right, right. and lunch because yeah, you right. can't afford. So it's just. Yeah, well, I wanted to just talk about services. You know, of course, feeding them is um <clears throat> important thing, which is probably a lot of kids are, are um, unfortunately, are not getting fed as well because they <laughs> are going to school, you know, the not going to school to learn, but to actually be fed, you know. But also they mentioned in this article that maybe one of the reasons that, of course, they can't be sure, but one of the reasons that there were the more suicides, there was less mental health care, uh, you know, that apparently there's mental health care available. Now, I'm, I mean, maybe this is the case now, <laughs> but uh, again, thinking back to when I was a boy, we didn't have no health mental health services in school. <laughs> if anything, it was, uh, you know, it brought back thoughts as like, God, you know, if anything, school would make me feel suicidal, you know. <laughs> exactly. That's another. <laughs> and that happy. So I'm just not sure if I buy the uh, some of these reasonings for the suicide uh, increasing. But now, now, sure, it may be true that the home situation is so bleak that these kids are being pushed over the edge because they're, uh, <clears throat> and it must be pretty bleak if uh, school is better than home. But yeah, I guess sure, you're less likely to get the shit beat out of you. You know, say if you have go home, you've got an abuser or parent. You know, <laughs> yeah, of course you'd rather be in school. You know? But uh, yeah. It's so grand. <clears throat> and uh, one of the, uh, I wanted to, I saw this interesting. We were talking last week about long COVID. And um, there was a really good article Sunday in the New York Times Magazine uh, on long COVID. Let's see. And it was entitled, What If You Never Get Better from COVID-19? And it was, a, uh, of course, the Mag New York Times Magazine is long-form reporting. I guess to read it, it'd take 50 minutes. But, uh, <clears throat> uh, yeah, it's quite interesting because they, they relate it to historical um, uh, versions of this phenomenon. And uh, so it's not necessarily new to coronavirus. Um, they begin talking about... Uh, Poorly understood condition, myelagic encephalomyelitis, <laughs> or ME for short, uh, more familiarly known as chronic fatigue syndrome, ME slash CFS. Now, it's, uh, it's defined by the presence of certain symptoms, including debilitating fatigue and unrefreshing sleep that last for six months or longer. ME-CFS-like syndromes have been linked with infectious infections for more than a century, including most recently those caused by the viruses responsible for the SARS H1N1 pandemic in 2003 and 2009. Chiefly because of the association, several ME-CFS experts told me that they anticipate a wave of new patients, long haulers who, because their symptoms are severe enough and last for six months or longer, would essentially be ME-CFS patients, whether they receive the diagnosis or not. So, um, you know, apparently it's an autoimmune uh, thing, and it's been observed since the late 
19th century and some epidemics then, uh, there were some uh, uh, cases with the uh, Spanish flu right. pandemic, uh, long hauling effects. Uh, so, yeah. Well, that's like, interesting. I didn't know that. I thought that the long hauler was one of the new and weird uh, mm-hmm. COVID symptoms. But the the longer that this pandemic goes on, that's the thing that starts to uh, stand out. Uh, not, of course, that death isn't a main concern, but that an- another thing that's very worrisome about um, getting infected is that uh, even if you only have mild symptoms when you get it, you can wind up having these um, long-term symptoms that take effect after the initial infection and an onset of symptoms. Right. Now, that's quite worrisome, right? I mean, I've even heard of extreme cases where there was like a teenage girl who got COVID, had only had mild symptoms, but then she got this um, uh, multi-inflammatory syndrome mm-hmm. and had to be in the hospital. Um, Here, I'll, so I'll, I'll read you the, uh, the, the part about the Russian flu. The Russian flu pandemic that occurred between 1889 and 1892 left it in its wake a familiar-sounding collection of symptoms, including pain, numbness, and fatigue-like complaints described as prostration and inertia. Uh, a history of the great influenza pandemics. That's where it came from. He quotes Josephine Butler, the British women's rights crusader, who declared in 1892, three months after contracting the virus, I am so weak that if I read or write for half an hour, I become so tired and faint that I have to lie down. Survivors of history's worst influence in pandemic, the so-called Spanish flu of 1918-1919, also reported lingering symptoms including loss of muscular energy, apathy, and melancholia that sometimes lasted for years. And then there were various <laughs> other wow. smaller outbreaks. <clears throat> so, but, yeah, I think that it's definitely... Um, looking like it's going to be much worse for people. The, the novelty, maybe because it's just so new and different that the immune system is reacting in these strange ways in much greater numbers. Um, it's definitely right. a very severe illness and that when you get the the bad version of it, it really, you know, you have the scarring, the literal scarring of your lungs. Um, yep. You know, uh, Heart and the damage. heart, heart damage. And brain damage. <laughs> Which I do have. <laughs> Just think, uh, if, if if maybe there's a there's a podcast <laughs> for brain damage. There's a podcast <laughs> contest for brain damage people. <laughs> We could say, um, Dave and I are both really brain damaged, and listen to what a good job that we do. Say, wow, ah, that is pretty good. And we'll start get, get a Patreon based on, yeah, I mean, I'm sure this grift has has been done multiple times already, so we're a little late on that 15 one. years in a row. 
first play for Brain Damage Podcast goes to the Oblivion Podcast. It's called that because they really nothing's <laughs> going on in there. Their brains are in oblivion. No. But I just uh, for a second I have to go back to the the mental health issue because it's it's just such a joke. I mean, before this pandemic came along, people did not care a lick about mental health because there had been steady reports uh, since the millennium that uh, especially for adolescents and young adults, consistent reporting of deteriorating mental health, increased uh, depression, anxiety. uh, And it was, uh, there was a, 2017 study out of uh, San Diego State University, and the lead researcher shows that this um, reflected a trend that had actually been going on since the 1930s, but it's especially gotten worse since um, 2000, and internet use, social media use is um, is a uh, likely uh, factor, not just like the cause. Mm-hmm. But but a, a factor that is consistently associated with because people who report these uh, symptoms, uh, well, first of all, you know, younger people didn't grow up without the Internet. So the Internet is all that they have known. So if their mental health is worse than people who are older and who didn't grow up with it, right? So I think if you didn't grow up with the Internet, it's probably easier to regulate it and to put boundaries around it. Mm-hmm. Right. You don't think of it. I at least I don't. And I don't think you do. Uh, there are some people that, that are that are <laughs> our age that I think, you know, can't differentiate between their life and the Internet. But at least with older people, there's a way in which they can at least think of it's just something they do for certain things. And then that's it. They don't have their whole life revolving around right, uh, right. Uh, the Internet. But right. Internet use has been associated with increased uh, uh, uh mental health problems in adolescents and young adults. But of course, this is never talked about. And of course, the whole Reagan revolution, uh, one of one of its um, big um, foundations was just getting rid of, of mental health. Uh, and, and public health funding has been cut by 40% when adjusted for inflation from 2005 to 2020. So these are just trends that are reflective of the way society has been for decades and to act like, well, it was only since Donald Trump came into office that we had a cruel leader that, you know, turned his back on the people and just used all this power system for self-serving agenda for his own aggrandizement and uh, egomania being power hungry and to, and to feed, uh, uh, gluttonous money system that was propping him up um, and then to think that uh, mental health is something we actually care about apart. Well, all right. I'm going to make any- a prediction. I'm going I'm to say that this uh, Chicago public schools issue is going to become a bigger story and I have a feeling it, it seems like no matter what that the teachers always cave in uh in the end i imagine it's peer pressure and political pressure and financial pressure and and uh and the again the zeitgeist the political climate 
Um, but I have a feeling with this that it's going to be different because that would just, I mean, I wouldn't ever want to teach again. I mean, not that I didn't already never want to <laughs> teach again, but I sure certainly wouldn't want to teach again. Think about it. Would you want to work for these people? If, if you care about your teachers so little, how can you claim to care about your students so much? How does that work? Like, how can you simultaneously be these two different people that you're so full of smiles and love and bountiful energy, and I'm fighting for students and want them to succeed, and give me a hug, and we're going to walk across that stage with a diploma, and look, that SAT score came through for you. And, uh, and then just, you know, berate and, and integrate teachers and just insist on these uh, practices that are just so obviously uh, pitiful and that aren't good for, for learning and that are a poor way for people to, to teach and learn. Um, but then to be saying, with the vaccine already here, I mean, for God's sake, all you have to do is tell everybody, just chill out and wait two months. And you, you just vaccinate all the teachers. And then, you know what, I bet you, I bet you they'd be fine. They'd go back in and teach. But no, they're going to vilify them. They're, they're going to vilify him. But to ask these people to, to go in and die, why would you want to, uh, I mean, po possibly die? And, again, I just think that the issue of the high degree of community spread in a big urban area like Chicago, and the fact you have to consider the mobility, that it can't just be, well, this school building, this one room here has been approved by the board. Well, if you could beam people like in Star Trek, from their home right into that room and then right back to their home, well, I mean, maybe you could say it really was safe, but what about all the distance between where the teacher lives in the city of Chicago with however many millions of people, I think third largest city in America, and then they, then they have to get into the classroom and then out. And then in the meantime, they have to go through the hallways and all of that, and just to put people at that kind of a risk. And I would not want to work for someone like that. I wouldn't want to be around people like that. Well, like you say, it's wage slavery. I mean, what you going to do? Uh, it's bad or starve, uh, <clears throat> especially now that... Uh, Better you know. to be dead than a slave. Um. <laughs> uh, Defiant. <laughs> better. Rebellion. Better dead than alive. That was last week's topic. Humanity <laughs> alive. I mean, this is in the end. Those are the things that push push civilization forward. Yeah. So, I mean, how do you expect us to progress, David, if we don't have slavery? Right. <laughs> how can we progress if we don't go backwards? <laughs> And we'll go round and round and round and round. All right, man. Well, uh, uh, um, yeah. How long have we got? Yeah, we're we're doing good. Sounds like a good pod. Why don't you take us out? For David <laughs> Miller, this is Doctor Dave Overby. You've been listening to the Oblivion Podcast. Into the future.